Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Nothing is Real, a Beatles podcast, is powered by Acast. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin and Belfast. In December 1964, the Beatles dropped Beatles for Sale, their fourth album in 21 months. In the USA, it never really came out at all. The songs were instead spread across uh, the Beatles 65 and the Beatles 6 albums. And over the years, it's a rare thing for someone to say that it's their favourite Beatles album. However, are the rumours that it's a subpar, nay, the worst Beatles album even fair? Uh, I don't think it's fair. Do you think it's fair, Stephen? Uh, no, this is, this is an album that I only came back to quite recently. It's not an album I listen to very much. And I would probably have said, with the exception of Yellow Submarine, it might be my least favorite Beatles album. But listening to it again, I think I'm revising that opinion. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I've, I've been, you know, you know, before coming in to talk about it today, I've kind of gone back and listened to it again. And it's, it's, it, you kind of wonder, well, where does it get this reputation from that it's not very good? I, I, it's, you know, they never did anything that wasn't completely poor. Maybe you could say it's their worst, but it's still a lot better than anything that was happening at the time. And as we say, they were Beatles, they were an album's act from the start. It still hangs together as an album. It does. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not even convinced that it is their worst. I think the, the reputation, as far as I'm concerned, is that it seemed to be a step backwards from mm. A Hard Day's Night in the sense of, uh, you know, they, they reintroduced covers. Um, each album had been a progression uh, to that point, those those first three albums. And then suddenly this seemed to be slightly stepping back into the world of covers. Did they not have enough original songs? Uh, you know, and certainly I think there was a, a little bit of a perception of that at the time. Mm. Um, and then it gets drowned out in in the subsequent sort of fascination with all things revolver pepper white album yeah abbey road i do these early the the early albums as a as as a group don't get the same attention i think i think you're right and i i I do think one of the problems is that there's no u.s equivalent so there's no memory of it in the in the u.s for people to champion so it kind of in in that massive market you know it, it disappears it eventually appears on compact disc in 1987 in the US when you know the albums are all standardized but it, there isn't a generation of kids who grow up rooting for Beatles for sale you know so that's yes. one problem um yeah. i think another problem is uh, you, you know when i was getting into the beatles you know i was going through lewison's studio sessions book and that book is quite 
wouldn't say scathing, but it's pretty down on Beatles for Sale. It says, you know, it's a dour album. It's not great. Mr. Moonlight is terrible. You know, oh, well, another album came along. Don't worry about it. It, it doesn't. Yeah, I kind of approached Beatles for Sale when I first got it with the notion that, oh, this is the bad one. And I think that it's, stuck with uh, it for a long time. Yeah, it's like wildlife. It wears its <laughs> reputation very heavily. <laughs> That's, I think we could wrap it up there. This is yeah, the Beatles. Wait, this is the Beatles wildlife. wildlife. Um, and thank you for joining <laughs> us this evening. Um, no, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. There is a sort of consistency in, in, in this slightly dismissive tone. Yeah. And the, the focus always seems to be, you know, don't they look tired <laughs> yes. on the cover? Um, and the focus is on the number of, you know, the, the, what they've done in the previous 12 months or the previous 10 months with those films and those tours and those albums and those singles and boy, don't they look mm. worn out on the cover. So the, I, I think all those things combine, things combine. Um, yeah, you can certainly project onto Beatles for sale and say, you know, well, I'm uh, yeah, you can you can pull out these reasons and say, yes, there are covers and there weren't any on the previous record. And it's, uh, you know, it doesn't match up with some of the other things. But coming back to it in the last couple of weeks, particularly in, in you know, before recording today, I have totally rethought how I feel about it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to touch on some of that uh, during the during the cast today. But what we might do first is look back on 1964, because. Although, without, you know, you could do a whole series on the year itself, it might be worth making a couple of pit stops just to get an idea of how busy they were that year and, you know, what their um, what their kind of set lists were in their live acts yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first pit stop that's probably a good one to make is maybe back in January 1964. And they are in Paris and they're doing a series of gigs in Paris. And it's at this time that in the States, I Want to Hold Your Hand is slowly or not slowly, very quickly climbing up the very charts. Quickly, yeah. uh, so what are they up to in Paris? Well, they're actually, I mean, fr France was pretty slow on the uptake, I think, with Beatlemania. Uh, you know, Germany, Sweden, uh, even America. Um, when America fell, it fell hard and it fell very fast. But the French were always slightly resistant. So they're playing 20 days uh, at the Olympia Theatre in Paris. And they're playing two or sometimes three sets a day. Yeah, it's, um, it's very strange that, you know, this was Epstein's, considering how spread out they were, that they had such mm. a significant, like three weeks out of the 52 weeks were spent in Paris in one theatre doing these shows. That's quite a I, significant chunk of time for them. Yeah, and I mean, obviously there is an audience. If you, you know, if you're going to book 20 days, that's 40, 50 shows yeah. is what they're, what they're playing. Obviously the audience is there, but I don't know whether it was a concerted attempt to break the French market or that that was seen as the sort of foothold into, into the rest of Europe. I, I, it, it is strange. And I, I, I haven't seen any analysis or any explanation as to why mm. the, the you know, 20 days are block booked in one city yeah. at one theater. I mean, you know, short of the Christmas shows, I don't think they've, they've done anything comparable elsewhere. Yeah, that's what they've done. And they came to Paris off the back of the, the Christmas shows and, uh, they were in Paris from the 16th of January to the 4th of February. Uh, and they did a very short set list. So we've got a set list here. <laughs> it's kind of amusing. Uh, eight songs, From Me To You, Roll Over Beethoven, She Loves You, This Boy, Boys, uh, Ringo, uh, I Want To Hold Your Hand, Twist and Shout, and Long Tall Sally. That's it. Eight songs, in and out. That's their set list. And then back, back, to the hotel. back to the hotel for tea. And they're in Paris uh, when they find out that they're number one in America. And that's the starting pistol for a whole ton of insanity. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I think this is this is 
this is sort of physically where they were when that started. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of discussion, you know, that was that American trip booked before number one? If you look at anthology, you get uh, one of them, George, I think is saying, uh, oh, yeah, we were we were going to go to America. We were always going to go to America. And I think it's Paul that says, well, we weren't going to go to America until we had a number one single. Yeah. So there's there's. Uh, the, but but this is this is where it all starts yeah. suddenly uh, to to kick in. And uh, you can go back and listen to our season one episode about "I Want to Hold Your Hand," where we kind of go into those weeks in a in a little yeah. bit of yeah. deep deep detail. Um, so that's snapshot number one. They're in Paris. They're doing these blocker gigs. They find out they're number one in America, and there's that picture of them all hitting each other with pillows on the bed when they find out that they're number one. Snapshot number two in Paris. You know they go through Ed Sullivan. They film a hard day's night. But then the next snapshot is June and their first world tour yeah uh and this is you know again we, we talk a lot about how the beatles kind of were in uncharted territory that they were you know trying to make up the rule book as they they went along um so it's kind of striking to see okay well here's a band going around the world this wasn't really uh, a common thing outside of you know you, you'd get some of your rock and rollers traveling over to england for a series of dates yeah. or yeah. you know the mainland europe for a series of dates but to try and do what a, a one-month world tour um is 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 pretty wild and this is where the famous tour where at the start jimmy nickel gets drafted in yes yes um but yes you're right i mean the 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 history here is they they are initially having to work within an existing um sort of showbiz setup so you've got provincial theaters uh, you've got clubs you've got you know whether it's the star club in hamburg and they're they're working within that format then they're playing in the uk they're playing in cinemas they're playing in in, in theaters, but they very quickly outgrow that system. So as you say, there isn't really a roadmap here. And, um, you know, when they turn up in, in the cities on this tour, there's hundreds of thousands of people are turning out just to see them get off the plane or drive to the hotel. And this is, this is unprecedented. You know, uh, the, the, the figure that uh, sort of precedes this is Elvis. Yeah. You know, he was eliciting this. He didn't tour. He didn't do world tour. He never left America. Um, to, to, to tour um so yeah they're 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 setting out this, this is completely uncharted uh yeah and, territory. and they're going out across denmark the netherlands hong kong australia uh, new zealand um uh, later in the year they go back to the, to the u.s but they're doing that chunk of the world and uh this is the tour where at the start jimmy nickel is there and uh, at the start of that tour when they have a few hours to practice with jimmy nickel yes. some of the some of the seeds of uh beatles for sale appear because that's where we get the the first demo of no reply the one that turns yes. up on the beatles anthology yes yes um so again we touched on this on a previous episode but they they rehearse for one day with jimmy nickel yeah um they do six songs out of what will be a 10 song set list and then 27 hours later they're playing their first uh gig in in copenhagen but during this this session they do this demo of no reply and and the assumption is made that this is george john and paul and you know jimmy nickel doesn't appear on this yeah um the other song that was recorded and i i, I only came across this Recently, the only other the other song that was recorded at this was uh, "You Know What to Do," yeah. which is the George Harrison demo, and that's on Anthology um, One. That's on Anthology One. This is not mentioned in Mark Lewis's sessions because uh, the tape was uh, misfiled. Yeah. Uh, so when that book came out, nobody knew this tape existed. Um, 
but yes, that's another song that sort of disappeared until uh, anthology. So even you, you, you would think if you are rehearsing for a world tour with a drummer <laughs> who you've that just is brand met, you to the band, <laughs> you've just met, you might spend a little bit more time rehearsing and not think, you know what, we, we've done six of our 10 songs. It'd be fine on the other four. We'll just knock off a couple of demo <laughs> tracks here as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very strange. Um, so that's snapshot number two, the world tour. Snapshot number three, then maybe to get an idea of how busy they were, is July uh, 64. They have their debut film, Hard Day's Nights. They've managed to squeeze yeah. in the making of a film. Uh, you know, there's all the attendant, you know, premiere work but there's also the hard day's night album and the main album yes. uh, you know the u.s has a seven track version with uh, incidental music but the the main version of the album is 13 songs uh the 14th song apparently missing because they were rehearsing with jimmy nickel um but 13 songs and it is the only album of all lennon mccartney originals that they ever get around to releasing because even george yeah. uh doesn't squeeze one onto the album at that point and that's another great achievement to actually manage to pull off a wholly original album in the middle of an insanely busy year and a very high quality album. Yes. I mean, it's probably, you know, to, to my money, it's the best of those early albums. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly the one that I would go back to. And I think probably it, it, it represented such a leap forward in terms of the sound and the production and, uh, uh, there's there's a maturity to the to the writing there. Yeah, so that's a snapshot of how busy they are. So they've had a very busy January to July 1964. The first songs that get recorded then for for Beatles for Sale happen in um, in August 1964, and the first set of sessions come about before they go off to tour the US. Uh, and so the first uh, the recording starts on the 11th of August 64, and there's four songs that uh, get put down for the album first. So the first one is um, Babies in Black uh, yes. on the 11th of August. Now, I, I know you're laughing because I know you don't really like baby, uh, Babies in Black. I, it's, not, it's not that I don't like it. I loathe this song. Is this I your just, least favorite Beatles song? This, this, this could be my least favorite uh, yeah. Beatles song. Why? Um, I can't hear it without thinking of... Uh, <laughs> this is going to ruin it for everyone. Yeah, you know those things when you were a kid in music class and in, you know, primary one or primary two, and they gave you a recorder and they made you play Johnny so long at the fair, you know, oh dear, what can the matter be? Yes, it's, yes, it's, yes. it's 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 just it's just this kind of nursery rhyme, uh, and you know, although it's only a whim, she thinks of him. I, I you know, the lyric is 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 very trite. But, the tune is, yeah. is what is it? I'm, I'm reliably informed it's in six eight time. Okay, it, it's, it, it's a, it, oh, yeah, it, it just seems it just seems very awkward. It, it's not a it, it doesn't kind of flow. It's a it's kind of jerky. But this this song was in their live set list for well, the next three that's years. That's what I was going to say. They, they love they this keep, song. Yeah, you, you see them like they, they does it get played in Candlestick Park? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's, last... it's certainly on. It's certainly uh, certainly there are terrible recordings of them playing it in Japan. <laughs> that is true, and it's uh, but it does have one of those great kind of high Paul harmonies that kind of just creates that third Beatle note, you know. That and, no, no, that I, and live, I, that's I, a great moment. But I, I just I just think it's very uh, it's very contrived. Yeah, it's very 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 trite. It's very downbeat. Uh, yeah, you know? and it kind of comes on the back. Of, I kind of see it in the it's sharing DNA with kind of. Um, this boy and uh, yes, it is, and those kind of songs. You know, it's again. I think I think I'm on record as saying I'm the only person in the world that doesn't care for yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Well. Yes, 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 it is. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> okay, it's true. I, 
Yeah, I, I just that 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 doesn't. It just it. I suppose is is it a folk uh, uh, element to it? So you don't, I don't, you don't like folk it, music? Well, that's fine. No, I love folk music. <laughs> um, so Babies in Black is put down. That's a that's a is that a, a John and Paul kind of nose to nose co write? Is it? That's a this proper... is a this is a this is supposedly a co write that, that they wrote at John's okay house, um, which may or may and... not be about Astrid. May or may not they 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 never claimed that it was about Astrid or acknowledged that it may have been about Astrid. Um, I think that's just uh, people projecting, yeah, um, because they know the history there with Stuart Sutcliffe, and uh, but I don't think anyone has ever mentioned that. Fair enough. And so the next song then they put down is "I'm a Loser." Now you 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 don't hate "I'm a Loser." I love this yeah. song. This is a great <laughs> song. This is a great song. Um, uh, supposedly this was, this was actually considered at one point, um, as a single. Yeah. And I think that would, that would, that would have been, uh, that would have been a fantastic, uh, single. Yeah. Um, also extremely uncharacteristic. uh, Yeah, it does. When you start thinking about how the order that these songs are recorded in for that kind of to be brought in pretty early, you kind of think, yes. Oh, right. So this, this change is happening in August 64, yes. it's kind of, yes. I'm a loser is the path on the road to help uh, in a way and yep. all the other kind of self-reflective uh, Lennon songs. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. And it, it's it's also uh, this, this you know, Lennon at this stage is hanging out with Mick Jagger, with Eric Burden. Uh, he's, he's kind of picking up this folk blues. We've got this country and Western element coming in. You've got Dylan's influence coming in. Um, uh, you know, all, all of those things come together and it's a fantastic uh, vocal performance as well it, it really um, is i i kind of think uh yeah i mean it's it, and it obviously it ends up being the second song on the album you know could it have been the opening song on the album maybe maybe it's a bit too downbeat and well is it, yeah the run i mean the running order on this album is very interesting you know we maybe touch on that when we get yeah to the, when we get to the, the big the release song, yeah. but um it is it is uh very down yeah downbeat and and it's also interesting to hear the word loser, you know, because you kind of think loser is a bit of a nineties well, Beck kind of. Yeah, hey, you're a loser. Yeah, and it's the, 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 it's this is thing in, in that idiom. Yeah, and you you've got ostensibly the the leader of the most successful band in the world. <laughs> That's true. Um, yes. Saying you know I'm I'm a loser. Yeah. Um. It's it 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 is. It's strikingly modern. Um. And then the next song to get recorded is everyone's favorite track on the album, Mister Moonlight. Yes. Yes. Uh, Do we need to say anything uh, more about Mr. No, Moonlight? I think I think we can say take four as Mark is the best <laughs> one, uh, and maybe we 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 come back. Well, what to do Mr. you think Moonlight? about Mr. Moonlight? Because Mr. Moonlight again, uh, you know, Lewison's recording sessions book. I think that's the song that he points towards being not like the the worst part on this so-called worst album um and uh, I, you know uh, when i first listened to the album years and years ago i thought yeah that is a terrible song and now i, I, I kind of like it's i think it's kind well, of funny I, it's it's funny and i suppose it all depends on how you take that keyboard solo yes but the keyboard um, solo here's what i'll say in defense of that kind of keyboard solo um it it uh it, it's a sound that doesn't appear in any other beatles record at any other point so you could say it's a sound that they've pulled in, they use it, they see what it's like, they leave it on this song, and then they just go on to the next thing. They, you know, we they, they, but, we worry about it more than they do. But presumably there wasn't a raise button. They could have erased it. <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose so. But don't, can't you imagine, was it Paul who played the organ? 
of course. Yes, because you can imagine it sort of has, it sort of has that air of uh, Paul. Uh, I can do everything. Here I go playing the organ. Yeah. You know when he does that I, thing it, of I'm going to show you how a mellotron works, and he uh, yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. sort of reeks I, of that, I, doesn't I, it? I, Every time I hear it, I just think of, uh, you know, the organist in Monty Python. It's, it's, uh, it's um, yes. I'm not suggesting Paul was in the uh, disrobe. No, it was this robe. No, I, I, I think if you listen to the version on anthology. Yeah. Um, and if you if you st I think I think it has its reputation simply because of the uh, uh, keyboard. solo, the organ solo. Yeah. If you listen to the, the, the unadorned version, it's, a, you know, another fantastic vocal performance by Lennon. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a good song. It's a perfectly serviceable song. I think it's just this kind of cheesy organ that uh, and and there seems to be some debate as you know was it intended as a joke or or was it a serious? Yeah, I think you know, Mister Moonlight. Sort of, if I said to you, you know, I think it's Decca audition Beatles. That's kind of what it is, mm, yeah. and it's it sort of it's 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 John's a taste of honey. That's what kind of Mr. Moonlight yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, I, I, and it's kind of odd to hear John in that role of maybe plucking out a song that's a little uncool. Uh, but I think it's in that lineage. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I think that's, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, so Mr. Moonlight is recorded on that day. And then the next song they record is leave my kitten alone, which becomes this great, great lost, great lost Beatles song. Yeah. Like this, yeah. this was, pre-anthology this was the the kind of the, the yeah. bootleg rarity wow this is this. yeah this is this is this is uh you know the the rumor you know we've got a complete take it's a great people who'd heard it were saying oh this is absolutely fantastic um it's it's a fantastic vocal performance and i think that one of the things that comes out uh, across all of these sessions is just lennon's commitment in terms of uh the vocal performance well that is but, the thing about um, beatles for sale it is a lennon album it's it's very much a Lennon There's album. There's very little Paul really on it. Like yeah. com and compared to where we go to in following years, it's yes. it's it's solid Lennon, you know. And particularly coming off yeah. the back of a Hard Day's Night, which is also a solid Lennon, yeah. a lot of solid Lennon work on that as well. I, I, I think this is probably the peak of of Lennon's. Um, I don't want to say control, but but uh, sort of the direction uh, and and yeah, maybe control is 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 the right word. Yeah, but, uh, this this is certainly the, his his peak, um, and I think it's uh, it's maybe uh, Ian McDonald and Revolution in the Head said this is because Paul was out squaring uh, Jane Asher and he was in the first flush of romance there, and and so he was. Sort of took his eye off the songwriting ball. Yeah, which is not like him, obviously. Um, yeah. So leave my kitten alone, though, doesn't come out, and you know it gets remixed is, uh, yeah. later on for other purposes. But sh should it have been there? Should it have been on the I, album? I, 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 I think it's. I think it should have been. There is a particularly weak song later on the album yeah. that that we'll come to, and I think this this could have there may be one or two tracks that this could have been substituted for. Um, it's it's an excellent performance. You were saying is it was it was remixed in nineteen eighty two. Yes, for the uh, Beatles and Abbey Road video presentation, which I think is where the bootleg, the bootleg uh, industry kind of spawned yeah, from like that. Kicked off from that. Yeah. Um, the Sessions Project in nineteen eighty four. Jeff Emmerich uh, remixed it there, and then he remixed it again for Anthology in ninety four, and it came out in ninety five. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's it's you know. The, you get the sense that EMI knew what they had here. You know, they knew it was a complete take, unlike the other tracks in Anthology, which are sort of take one fades into take three. And they, yeah. they this this is this is a now this is yeah this is a real standalone. It's, it's a yeah it's a performance. Yeah, yeah. My my introduction to the song was I remember Elvis Costello being very fond of it and thrashing it out with the attractions a lot in the nineteen eighties. 
Yeah, I've heard his version of that. Which is great. Uh, So they're the first batch of songs there. I I meant to mention there that Mr. Moonlight was written by uh, Roy Lee Johnson. And uh, in the grand year of 2020, Roy Lee Johnson is still alive at the age of of 81. Really? Yes. He and living living off the royalties. Living off the royalties. He 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 made his money. He uh, he was quite young when he wrote Mr. Moonlight. It was in a, he was a teenager and it was in his high school band, uh, and they it got released uh, as a B side of the the group he was in, Doctor, which was Doctor Feelgood, not Dr. that Feelgood, one. Yeah. And no. um, he stayed in the music business for twenty years or so, putting out records. But he seems to have kind of pulled back a little bit, and he's obviously making a tidy sum every year from it's, people royalties. Eighty-one years old, Roy Lee Johnson. It's, it's it's the dream, right? One song get gets yeah. the Beatles to record it, and it, yeah. it's it's the Roy Wood it's story, isn't it? It's the Roy Wood story. <laughs> yes, <laughs> write a yeah. song, live in a nice house, roll on Christmas. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. So then, you know, what's interesting about Beatles for Sale is they record the album in eight days but obviously it's not eight days in a row it's eight days spread in between uh, august and october i thought i I thought you were going for the eight days in a week oh Uh, darn it eight days a year (laughs) eight days eight days uh uh, between a tour um between august and october they find eight days to try and uh, put the album together so you know it's hard to think in our modern you know album tour cycle you know and, and promo cycle that you know you'd start an album and then hook off on a, a US tour but that's what the Beatles do that they start their US tour on the 19th of August and this is the tour that gives us the first batch of recordings for the Hollywood Bowl Hollywood Bowl but yeah. there's the other big seismic thing that happens on this tour which is they meet Bob Dylan they meet Bob Dylan now you know Beatle fans everywhere know that this is you know one of these events that supposedly changed rock history <laughs> changed, changed everyone it changed changed the Beatles it changed Bob Dylan it changed the world it changed you and it changed me well and, yeah it uh, certainly yeah probably or, or or did it that's the uh it certainly was a good day out I suppose it was a good it was a, or a good day in a good night in uh yeah this is this is one of those sort of legendary summits uh you know the 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 Beatles really, I think, George had picked up on freewheeling. Yeah. Um, uh, Lennon mentions in an interview, you know, that they spent that entire time that they were in Paris at the start of the year, they were just listening to, to that record uh, nonstop. And uh, my favorite quote from his, him is, uh, for three weeks in Paris, we didn't stop playing it. We all went potty oh. about Dylan. You see what he did I there? See what he did there. Um, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yes so so it was you know they knew they were going to meet him uh they they they, they were all a bit nervous though weren't they i mean they, that was they the were, thing they, they were kind they of sizing each other out and i think this is the thing they were all all five of them were sort of aware of the significance of this and the significance of each other and um they they got a, a middleman al aronovitz a journalist that that uh uh, to, to broker this, Dylan turns up at the hotel. Yeah. Um, they they smoke some dope, uh, drink some cheap wine, uh, and just and giggle the themselves and, and uh, giggle. Yeah, yeah. And and Epstein is is enjoying and partaking as well, and they're all having a great time. Now there's the, you know, between um Mark Lewison's kind of biography and also the Writing So High book that came out last year. Mm. There's some debate as to whether this was the introduction to pot or not that the Beatles. Yes, I mean, really experienced. Uh, yes, again, you, there are interviews with George or later on saying, you know, Dylan introduced us to pot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, George in Anthology says uh, they tried cannabis in Liverpool 
after they had been to Hamburg. Yeah. So he sort of contradicts himself slightly there. And there's an interview with John Lennon, uh, 1975, where he says, you know, they were smoking marijuana in 1960 yeah. with uh, this chap Royston Ellis. Yes. Um, so I think we, I'm not sure whether we touched on, we mentioned Royston Ellis in a previous I'm episode. I'm on this track. <laughs> we, we might have. But he was, but, he was, um, he was a kind of a, a, like a, an English based yeah, beat poet kind of alternative yeah. lifestyle S&M merchant yeah, 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 kind of yes, crazy yes. sexual he is exploit. i think i think i think that this is true because he uh, we got on to abbey road and polythene pan yes and he was involved possibly in that. he was involved in an incident uh, uh back in, in around this time so he's he's an english beat poet he met george yeah first he was he was there he ellis was 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 um up in liverpool to do a reading at the university he's hanging out at the jacaranda he he sees he was nineteen. Uh, he sees George, seventeen. Yes, and uh, was quite quite openly, you know, he thought George was a good looking boy. Uh, tried to pick him up, I think. Um, uh, George takes him back to Gambier Terrace, where Lennon's living with Sutcliffe, and suddenly that you have this meeting of the sort of art school types with this beat poet, and um, uh, they they. Uh, that you know it 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 flows from there yeah. lennon talks about ellis uh frequently um yeah he doesn't forget about it, him he, he, he doesn't forget him it sort of he introduced them to uh breaking open and you know and asthma inhalers to get the drugs out of that yeah. uh the the Lewis and I think says uh he got them their first mention in a music paper yes. so he's back back to london does an interview and says oh i'm going to get the beatles down from Liverpool, they're the only group that uh, that uh, know what I'm all about. I'm coming from yeah. what I'm all about. So the US tour ends on the 20th of September at the Paramount Theatre in New York City, and just over a week later, they're back in Abbey Road, and this time Paul has finally managed to get his pencil out and he's written uh, every little thing, um, yeah. which is you could argue maybe that was aiming for single material. That's a great song. It is a great song. It is a really good song. Um, and it, uh, listening to it, it's it's a song that could have been written, you know, if they, if this turned up on a new Paul McCartney album for the first time, yeah, it, it wouldn't sound out of place. I, th I think there is a, a sort of timeless quality to this. I don't know what it is that, I, that, that particularly draws me to this song, but I really do like this song. And I think... Uh, you know, I'd like to see him put it in his set list. Yeah, it's his... it's a, I like kind of the song is, you know, he's trying to bring in a bit of drama. The, the, the thing I think listening to it is, you know, are they trying to get like a Phil Spector thing going on, you know, with kind of the, 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 the timpani and the, and, the, and, the, yeah. and uh, you know, did it need a bit more um, va-va-voom? You know, is that something he was trying to, to reach for? Because you, you can sense there are certain bits on Beatles for Sale where you can start to see them trying to broaden their horizon experiment with sounds and instruments do one or two different things it's not quite as regressive as the album's reputation you know there are a couple of little no. moments where they're trying to be a little bit clever for, even though they're working so darn fast this is uh, uh, yeah and um you know i wonder is is paul conscious here that lennon is dominating this album he's he's got to up his game so when he does bring in a song hmm. you know it's got to be a good song and uh you know this is a song that's full of little hooks it's it's got the timpani it's got little kind of things that catch your ear so there, there is a lot going on um yeah and uh yes it was it was again it was being touted as a possible single yeah um 
and you know we 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 know that competition exists absolutely to get to get the a side yeah. so that's yeah yeah um and then the next thing they record is i don't want to spoil the party and i think this is a song i think generally this is you could argue it's not a very well-known Beatles song, certainly no. by the general public. Um, but it, it is a little gem, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's it's probably the most country and Western yeah. sounding thing that they, they do. And, There's a um, couple of country and Western sounds that happen on the album. Like the, we'll, yes, we'll talk about Carl yes. Perkins songs and that in a second. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, they are... It is a, a bag that they dip into now and then, and Ringo later on with Act Naturally and, uh, you know, you could argue Don't Pass Me By has got elements of a country song. It's not... I, I, uh, it is. Alien. I mean, again, it's, it's an element. It's a reflection of sort of things that they would have been listening to as kids, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, again, one of the things that sets them apart from other bands is uh, of their generation is they are listening to show tunes they are listening yeah. to country and western they're, they're, they're sort of soaking all of this up um there's kind of an everly brothers vibe coming off i don't want to spoil the party you know there is and the interesting thing to me is that it's primarily sung by john and george right with with paul sort of doing the harmonies but uh you know people talk about you know how well John and Paul's voices blend, but actually in this case, uh, George is taking uh, a, a more prominent uh, role. Yes, uh, and Paul does, or sorry, George does a lovely um, Carl Perkins style solo on that. Uh, his, 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 what was his, it? His, uh, his Gretsch country gentleman yes, guitar. Which falls off the roof uh, in yes. December 65 <laughs> yeah, on tour, yeah. gets smashed. So is this sad. Your banjo? Yeah. <laughs> um, and as if they hadn't done enough work for one day on the 29th of September, they start work on uh, what you're doing. But that's a first pass, and that's a song that kind of gets benched and redone later on. Yes, they seem to have they seem to have real trouble with this. Yeah. Uh, so they, they they finally after seven takes they they sort of nail a rhythm track. But uh, you know, again, they come back. It's it's it, it, this gives them a lot of. Uh, next day 30th of september second day in a row um they put the timpani drums on every little thing they have a, a mm -hmm. bit of a laugh they try and do what you're doing again and that gets parked but then uh they they, they go in for you know probably the song that nobody dislikes which is no reply uh, which ends up being yeah. the opening track of the album um and as we said that kind of had begun uh, as a rough demo so that had been floating around so they had a rough idea of how they wanted to yeah. Yeah. uh approach it but it's still a you know when you actually listen to it it's it is meticulously kind of put together it is it is and um the 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 arrangement i think on the demo broadly survives uh, through so as you say they, they had a uh they had they had a pretty good idea of what they were going to going to do with it yeah um and uh i think i i there's a lot of bootlegs around at this session and there this is, is a session yeah. where oh, yeah. don't don't slow down for christ's sake or i'll give you no more drugs that's right uh, uh, that, that, that you think okay uh, that's john exhort you know keep going keep going if you want your drug supply <laughs> and you think but it, it seems odd that that would be so openly it is that's even, also the one where they say joke. um I let you say. Well, this. I won't say it. I'll, I'll I'll say the abridged version. Been to the toilet, Megan. It's that one, isn't it? That's what the it's, same. Uh, well, the, yeah. If anybody knows who or what, Megan. Megan. It sounds very goonish when they say that. It, so I wonder it, if it's it some does, reference because, to because something we don't know. Some, well, it, 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 it the, the reference to Megan turns up again in um one of the in the Christmas uh single. Oh, yeah. 
they're sort of talking about what they're doing and you can hear one of the, I think it's John is speaking or George is speaking and somebody in the background is talking about Megan or Megan this or so. So yeah, there's obviously somebody there, but. Um... And it's no reply, you know, it's, it's, you know, George Martin used to have this notion that the albums should start with an exciting pot boiler and it's yes. not a pot boiler to start the album with. It's very, it's got a very spaced sound. There's no electric guitar on it, which is the first Lennon song with no electric yep. guitar. There's an awful lot of space, as I said, in the, in the mix. And it's, it's thrilling, you know, that kind of, uh, what was it? Revolution in the Head says that, you know, that middle section is probably their most exciting 30 seconds. There is that kind of thrilling drama yep. to it. But it, it's not propulsive like, and I saw her standing there or and a hard day's night, you know? No, and it's not, you couldn't, you couldn't say it was, it was a sort of an upbeat or joyous song. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, uh, despairing, lost yeah. love, so I think. So, so the subject matter is not uplifting. And again, there's a little tiny acapella section at the beginning. So you're, the, the first thing that hits you on this album is John's voice. Yeah. And that, that, trick of doing that is repeated a couple of times on the album yeah um so you've got that absolutely sort of and, and in in the remastered um versions you, you that just leaps yeah. out of the speakers it does actually that, yeah. that, that voice yeah um so a couple of days later 6th of october they're back in and they spend that day working on eight days a week um which yeah. is uh I, I don't, I, I have a love-hate relationship with eight days a week. I, I, what? I, okay. I sometimes think, first of all, when it turns up on the one compilation, I feel, Ooh. no. <laughs> okay. Uh, because. Um, uh, it's not a single in the it's UK. It's not a single in the UK. And it's. Should it have been a single in the UK? Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's. It's, it, I, it, I sometimes feel eight days a week is a bit too cutie cutie. You know, it feels a bit. Really? But you, you're, you're Mr. Pop. I know. You like the cutie I know. I know. I just, I, I just never uh, listen. It's, it's, it's still a great song by the Beatles. I'm maybe being slightly contrarian, but I don't. I wouldn't think it's like uh, one of their all time classics. Oh, you see, I, I, I absolutely on the other side of that. I think this okay. is just, this is just everything that is brilliant <laughs> about. About uh -oh. the Beatles in the first phase of their career is in this yeah. song. Whether it's, it's it's the arrangement, it's the voices, it's the hand claps. Did you, did you went to see the um, the the was it two years ago? Uh, Jeff Emmerich promoted a, a, a sort of a, a, a stage show that was a mock up. Oh, of, yes, of, yes, of yeah. Studio Two. Yeah, and um, you know, I I thought that was absolutely fantastic for people that didn't see it i can't remember the name of the, the, the my drink. Mind as well. it was a very odd thing but it was it was it was, it was, it was, it was a sort of it, it was contrived that, that you were sort of looking down into studio two and you had two or three beatles tribute bands playing the parts of the beatles but the, the section where they were putting this together and doing the intro and doing the hand claps and that that was it was I love this song. Okay, okay, well done. I can't believe. I think we. I think we may have reached a line <laughs> in the sand. But here. isn't that the? Isn't that why? You know, you can talk about the Beatles forever. Uh, but yeah. with eight days a week, the, this is an an early example of them kind of uh, experimenting in the studio. They don't necessarily come in with it all ready to go, particularly the no. fade in and and all that kind of stuff. It's all experimental slightly it is it is so this is really the first time that it, the song is unfinished uh so they're working they're sort of working it up it, so normally this is something they would have done yeah you know round at paul's house or john wimpole street or john's house or whatever um I, I, 
so yes, the, the the fade in and and all of those things are being added at different stages, and they're they're playing around with the arrangements. So it's it's the session tapes for this, yeah, um, are really interesting uh, because you can hear them trying things out and discarding things and bringing things, in. and you can hear John playing a little riff in the background from I Feel Fine. Yeah, so that's um, so obviously on the horizon. That, that's, well. that's on the horizon coming as well. Uh, and it's it's the song that opens uh, side two on the album. So you get this fade into side two on the yeah. album, which is a very different way than side one opens. Um, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, you could argue that you could almost flip the sides of Beatles for Sale, make the B side the A side and the A side the B side. I, I, I actually think that might improve... It's reputation. You know, you might want to still I, nudge I, Honey Dome somewhere else, but if it I opened think, with eight days a week uh, and ended with Kansas City, hey, 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 that I, would I, be a good run. That would be a good run. Uh, I, I think we maybe come on to it, but I think this album, it, it does not end well. Um, <laughs> Ooh, that sounds <laughs> ominous. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So two days later, another recording session, one more song, She's a Woman. Now, obviously, this isn't for the album, because apart from the 14 songs for the album, they need two songs for a single. Why? Because they're the Beatles, and that's just the the way things are done. Um, And so the 8th of October, they put down She's a Woman, written and recorded in uh, one day. Apparently, Paul brings it in, still hot off the griddle. He he just, between leaving his house and getting to the studio, he wrote it in his head. What a guy. What a guy. Take that. Take that instant karma. <laughs> so um, um, it is it is. Uh, yeah. And it's a it's 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 a it's a very unique song. It's, yeah. uh, you know, he's 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 got a very specific vocal style on it, which yeah. is, you know, you don't really get him singing that way a lot, you know. Um, no, th- this is this is a song that I've always had a bit of a problem with. It, it just uh, it just it, it I, I, this idea of maybe trying to write a song with one chord or two chords. And I, I just kind of feel it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything. It, it starts off quite quite kind of interesting, that kind of emphasis on the, the offbeat. Yeah. And, 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 and but it just keeps going. But let's give a shout out to Ringo because there's a song, as you say, the guitar is playing on the offbeat and Ringo finds yeah. the space to actually drop in as that offbeat is being hit on the guitar. You know, it's yeah. almost like a reggae offbeat. It is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very strange, it's very strange. Yeah. And then he, um, Ringo tumbles in, finds the space to play that serves the song. You know, Paul sings this kind of, you know, 
very kind of high, soulful kind of voice yeah. that he's bringing to that. And he's, uh, you know, it, and it gets it gets into the live set. She's a woman, you know, for... it, Again, again, it's it's, and you you would think this would be a very difficult song to play live, yeah, uh, to replicate, particularly with Lennon on rhythm guitar. I mean, he he's kind of notoriously wayward um, <laughs> yes. with time, and you know, like when he when he's writing songs, he doesn't pay much attention to the the you know, four bars or he could have seven bars or yeah. uh, switch into something else. But um, yeah, I, 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 it's maybe, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's sort of in terms of the middle eight, in terms of the, the it it just seems very static. And it does and have so that, that uh, line though, though, turn me on when I get lonely. It's got, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. it's, a bit, it's a bit fruity. Well, this is, this is, this, well, this is supposed to be uh, a, a drug reference. Right. So this isn't, this isn't a kind of a sexual reference uh again we keep refer back to uh riding so high by joe gooden which is an excellent excellent book. book and he said this phrase you know turn me on or i'll turn you on doesn't take on a sexual meaning until much later in in the 60s yeah uh, where it becomes a bit of a cliche but at this stage it's a drug reference you turn turn on by taking and drugs. it is interesting um, that yeah we have these first set of sessions they meet dylan and then they have the second set of yeah. sessions and there's just subtle changes happening you know uh, and that it's coming from paul Yes, who is who is always sort of the last to experiment or the last to yeah. take the drugs, the last to, to you know. But so so this is again that's an interesting aspect of the song. But the whole peasant present. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's not your favorite moment. <laughs> it's not my favorite moment. Um, they then kick off their fifth UK tour on the 9th of October, and this yeah. is the tour where they hit Belfast and Dublin, two great places. Yes. And but, just uh, look, yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to get your Bel Belfast twice. Belfast twice. Well, they play Belfast the following year. Uh, Don't think yeah, 65. No, they, oh, they play they, Belfast they, twice on that yeah, tour. Play, yeah, yes. on this tour. On this uh, tour. And just looking at the set list, uh, Twist and Shout, Money, Can't Buy Me Love, Things We Said Today, I'm Happy Just to Dance With You. I should have known better. That's nice. Uh, if I mm -hmm. fell, I want to be your man. Uh, Hard day's night and long tall Sally. That's kind of a standard set list. That's what they played in and that's, Belfast. Yeah, I, you would be much happier. I think I would be much much happier to have that set list than any set list to date. Yeah, it's pretty. It's nice to see. You know, you don't kind of think of I should have known better as being in their live set. Uh, no. And you think the, the, these are these are hard days night songs yeah. are suddenly suddenly front and center. And they, they kind of, and it's interesting how they kind of slip away over the next two years of playing live, yeah. and they still keep doing you know long tall Sally and some of the the straight you know the more yeah. straightforward rock yeah, and yeah. roll covers. Like yeah. the rock and roll covers stay there till the end, which is a curious thing. Um, so what they're now doing now that they're on tour is they're trying to squeeze in album yes. sessions on rare days off. So they'll be at some end of the country um, uh, and they'll be barreling back down to Abbey Road. Uh, yeah. So the next day they get free is the 18th of October and they go to Abbey Road and they do um, an outro piece for uh, eight days a week. Um, and then they hit into Kansas City. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah. Which is great. It's a great just straight ahead paul doing what he does yeah best, it's which it, is his you know is yeah uh and then they go into mr moonlight and they do kind of another kind of take through on on uh, on mr moonlight too good to leave alone you know, <laughs> too good not to do it, twice. it it is interesting that you know they've they're they're putting leave my kitten alone they've kind of forgotten you wonder are they just moving so fast that that they're losing track of what they have well, what, well what is the i mean you kind of think of bands today i remember reading a thing 
you know, when Radiohead were putting together OK Computer, which is in 1997, they had copious amounts of mini discs because that was the technology at the time. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they were trying to resequence the album on mini disc, and they were kind of going crazy trying to figure out. Yeah. You know, they were demoing on mini disc, and mini disc was the thing. When the Beatles do a day in Abbey Road, and then they're playing gigs for a week, they don't really have a context to listen back to the music they don't have a personal stereo to stick it on or you know they, at best no. they might have acetates and a portable record player at best yeah but um, you were saying about one day i mean they're on the 16th of october they're in hull yeah 18th of october they're in abbey road the 19th they're in edinburgh so they have to sort of barrel back <laughs> up the road to, i mean that's insane it's the other end of the country you know um so yes that you, you do have the sense that they just they go in they record these they leave it yes. with the engineers. They leave it with George Martin to 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 sort of uh, do mixes and 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 they're just off thinking about the next gig. Um, and it's it, yeah, so. it's but it's what what's odd about when you look at these sessions is they're kind of doing you know rough and ready songs that they're kind of thrown at the wall. They're doing stuff yeah. like you know uh, as we said you know the aforementioned Mister Moonlight, and then they go straight from trying to remake Mister Moonlight into doing. I feel fine. I feel fine. How yeah. sublime is I feel fine? Like it's yeah. It's it's, it's fantastic. I I don't know about you, but to me it you know, we kind of lose the context now many years later, but it's hard to believe that I feel fine is cut from the same cloth as the rest of Beatles for Sale. It it doesn't sound the same. No. Uh it it's it's you know, it sounds you you can hear this sound moving towards what we get on uh not even sort of ticket to ride, but you know, day tripper and rubber soul. Yeah, you can, you can you can hear the sound. They're they're sort of reaching for that. I think with this with this song. Yeah, and it's it's like I, I feel fine. Eventually, wins to become a, a single, and I guess it's 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 recorded knowing it's going to be the single. Yes, I think I think you know we've we've had I'm a loser. We've had other you know every little thing, uh, but this this I think is clearly head and shoulders above. So so. You would have to imagine that when this is presented, everyone is thinking, right, this is this is the uh, this is the single. This has to be the single. And an interesting fact, uh, Stephen, did you know that um, Paul invented feedback for this single and that subsequently invented everything Jimi Hendrix did? That's one of my favorite parts of <laughs> anthology is um, when they're all sitting around, I think, in Friar Park and um, in the studio and, and they're talking about this, about inventing uh, John leaning his guitar up and blah blah blah. And Paul goes, yeah, yeah, and this, we did it before. And you know, Jimi Hendrix. If so, I'm doing Paul impressions now. <laughs> um, you know, he's he's actually uh, clearing, and you can just see uh, George and Ringo laughing. laughing. Yeah, just having yes. a laugh at him. But it's having a laugh. But again, the nice try. You pick a you pick apart the bits of I feel fine. You know, so the feedback, which is a very intentional kind of recorded moment at the start yes. of the song. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the riff kind of has a tightness and a clarity to it. Again, Ringo comes in right, picks the right space to just his, sort of tumble into the song. And he's doing these incredible ride cymbal fills. His, his drumming on this is incredible. Yeah. It's a kind of slightly Latin feel. Is, yeah, uh, it does. Is, yeah. Is, it, it, you know, um, it's no, his drumming is, is superb on this. Yeah, you can go off to um, YouTube and listen to just the drums from I Feel Fine. They're embarrassingly, uh, you know, when you when you think about how compact Ringo's kit is I'm not a drummer yeah. per se but he's basically got a very straightforward kit yeah. and you kind of listen to the, the the drums on their own from I feel fine it's it's ridiculous he makes it look so easy yeah. Uh, yeah. 
But you're right. I feel fine sort of does have this uh, feeling. I think I'm a loser has it too. You kind of think, well, what songs here could have appeared on the Help album or maybe Rubber Soul? And I think yes. I feel fine. I'm a loser maybe could have gone over there. Whereas something like Kansas City, I think could have been on with the Beatles. You know, it's yes. interesting to see yeah. which album, which songs get pulled one way and which songs get pulled uh, another way. But I feel fine is is getting earmarked for a single, and that's only um, recorded on the eighteenth of October. They are cutting it fine in order it's, to try they, and get they, this out they, for Christmas. They just they just seem to do this time around this this <laughs> period, this kind of sixty three, sixty four, sixty five. They're constantly just pushing against deadline. Yes, yes. Um, so next up, this is a busy day. They do "I Follow the Sun," which is a very old song from Paul. So yeah. again, Paul not really present. He's pulling out a song that is you know, Cavern Club pre-fame type song. Yeah, really. yeah. Uh, Pete, Pete Best talks about Paul playing this in Germany in the Kaiser Keller on, on uh, the piano. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a very pretty song. Yeah. Uh, it's very straightforward. And you, I, I never really thought too much about the, the lyric to this song. But mm-hmm. actually, when, when I was researching this, it was saying, well, the singer here is leaving. And yeah. One day, one day, you'll know I was the one. Yeah. And they're saying, you know, it's very Paul. It's, you know, you, you, you didn't know you, you had a good thing here. And uh, don't underestimate one day, Paul. One day, one day you'll, you'll be sorry. <laughs> uh, but, but yet it's, but it's, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's an odd lyric to be dressed up. Uh, you know, at first listen, I think you just think this is a very straightforward. But it is, but it is one of those songs that, uh, like he, he has come back to it. It's on his Amoeba gig live album and he plays it there. Yeah, but it 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 just it's it's again it's a kind of perfect Paul song. It's a little kind of simple, straightforward. It's like a melody that you imagine must always have existed. Yeah, but actually, but it didn't. It just he kind of plucked it out of the air. And and but it it, it it's it's very very sweet song. And I don't think it it is overly sweet. Sometimes Paul's ballads uh, can be. A little bit sweet, a little bit sickly sweet, but I think this is a lovely song. It is nice that it is short, you know, that it's, it, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's, no, it's a great no, song. No. Um, and then next up to the mic is Mr. George Harrison, who records Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby, yes. uh, which is a Carl Perkins song, the first of two Carl Perkins songs that makes the, the album. And, um, you know, the Beatles loved Carl Perkins, George they, they, particularly. George in particular, yeah. Yeah, I mean George's rockabilly credentials are are, are pretty well established. Um, this is a uh, this is a very odd song again uh, in that you know I quite like the song, but it's 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 the song that they use to finish the album, and there's just in that position I think it's not satisfactory. Uh, you know, yeah. you may have noticed over the years I'm I'm, I'm quite fond of George, and I've I have noticed this from time yes. to time, but I think. This, if this song, this is where you coming back to your point about if we flipped, yeah, uh, the, the, the two sides, I think this would be better to close uh, side one rather than you know, it, it, it can't compete with Twist and Shout or Money or you know, it's 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 not in the same and it has a very way. retro sound to it, this kind of slap back, uh, Elvisy sound, you know, yes, so there's a lot of tip echo, yeah, and uh. The, particularly on the vocal, yeah. But the guitar part is leaking into the vocal mic, so then the guitar picks up this tape echo as well. Yes. Um, supposedly, this is done in in one take. Um, although uh, Ian McDonald says, you know, well, you can hear a tambourine overdubbed, and that that must be Lennon. Yeah. Um, 
But this is Jeff Emmerich, uh, who does not have much time for George, praises this as being one of his his better performances. But I, I think that that's maybe indicative of just he's he's got to do right by Carl Perkins. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, and it's and it's it's George's moment on the album. It's 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 yeah. unusual that he closes out the album, which isn't uh, his normal. Um, uh, position. No, I think it's 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 the only it's the only time he gets to do that. And as I say, I have to say, I don't think it it works. And that plan. it um, doesn't work as a closer. I think it. it I think it's a, a mid album track. It's not a. It's not a closer track. And it's interesting um, that you know. Uh, we well, we should probably we can't underestimate the importance of Carl Perkins to the Beatles. He keeps. He's he's in their lives for years afterwards. Yes. Yes. So uh, this is. You know, George, whenever they were touring with Johnny Gentle in, in, in May 1916, they all adopted, you know, Paul Ramone and you know, he was Carl Harrison. So yeah. he's paying homage to him. This this, this rockabilly style, he and Ringo are particularly um, enamored of that, that sort of country and Western rockabilly song. Um, I think they I have a note here. They played 12, oh, sorry, 11 Carl Parkin songs. All right. Their live show. So. Lots of that they didn't record, but Tennessee, Blue Suede Shoes, Lemme Your Comb, yeah. Glad All Over, Matchbox, Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby, Honey Don't. Um, you know, so he was a big uh, influence. Yeah. And there, there's been some speculation over the years as to whether Carl Parkins was actually present when this song was yes. being recorded. Um, Carl seemed to think he was present. Yep. Everybody else seems to think, no, he wasn't really present. Um uh, and that it's all of this, this speculation is based largely on Carl's uh, Carl's memory, but uh, he seems to be referring to a session that took place in June 1964, which is around the time that Ringo, just before Ringo fell ill, and Jimmy Nickel enters the picture. So he was definitely in the studio for that yeah. session, um, and I think he's just confusing. Um, uh, the, the, the two the two sessions and it's well it's uh, you know it's a very busy session because we're still on the 18th of october and they're still not finished the next thing like george yeah. is obviously able to knock out everybody's trying to be my baby because it's been in their live set forever and then the next thing they uh, knock out is john steps forward to do rock and roll music yeah and that gets put down pretty quickly again this is a you know supposedly a single take of george martin on piano mm-hmm. or maybe not no one again. No one. <laughs> or maybe seems, more. Maybe two or three people playing the piano. Two or at three once. people. And yeah, D- Derek Taylor on the sleeve notes refers to it as being George Martin, Paul, and John. Yeah. All crowded around one piano. Uh, Mark Lewison says no, no single take. George Martin on piano. Uh, according to Jeff Emmerich, Paul played the piano and George Harrison was playing bass. <laughs> you know, so it's. I mean, you know, the piano is excellent, and you've got to kind of think: is it more? Who was the better rock and roll piano player, George yeah. Martin or Paul McCartney? You, you, your money would be on Paul, Paul. I think. And um, uh, then it's it's actually Chuck Berry's birthday. It's recorded on his yes. uh, it 38th birthday. 38th birthday. <laughs> he was 38. So yeah. old. So old. Um, uh, I, I like rock and roll music. I think it's a good cover. It stays in the live set as well. And then they record another. So we've had, it's interesting. We have... George, who records a Carl Perkins song. We've got John, who records a Chuck Berry song. And then next up to the mic, we have Paul McCartney recording a Buddy Holly song. Yeah. And uh, so they record Words of Love. And it's the only Buddy Holly song that the Beatles recorded. And considering 
you know, how much you gave to the band. Yes. Uh, it's a wonder that there isn't more Beatle Buddy Holly. I suppose we've got That'll Be The Day on the anthology as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, this is this is this is uh, interesting uh, because who's singing it? Well, it's it's a. It, I've always thought it's just John and Paul, a close John and Paul. Yeah, but Revolution in the Head says no, no. It's George. It's John and George. Mm, mm. This is this is going to be like a who did the as in a day in the life. Well, we're going to have to get people to. Uh, yes, we've had that vote, and that was uh, people were we decide, people we were pulling each that. other apart. Um, but that's all on one day. I mean, that's an extraordinary day's work where they record eight days a week, Kansas City, Mr. Moonlight, I Feel Fine, I Follow the Sun, Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby, Rock and Roll Music and Words of Love. One day's work. One day's work. And then they are back on the road again. They go up to Edinburgh, Dundee, and back in London, they're kind of mixing and starting to put the album together. The glamour of the road, yeah. Um, But there is still some recording because the album is not finished and there's one day of recording left, which is the 26th of October. And... uh, well, Ringo hasn't had a song all year. He hasn't had any no. song in 1964. No. And everybody loves a bit of Ringo. So Everybody loves uh, a Ringo song. So Carl Perkins uh, gets another royalty check as Ringo records Honey Don't. Again, another Don't. song that they're able to probably do in their sleep at this point. Yes, although the, the, the fascinating point here is that uh, John usually sings this song. Okay. Uh, so they did it on the BBC sessions. You can hear uh, John uh, singing it, but here, uh, you know, I'm guessing it suits Ringo's range. Is that the? Uh... Yeah, I suppose that's a, a nice way of putting it. <laughs> well, he had recorded Ringo actually had recorded uh, Matchbox in June of this year for a standalone EP. Yes. So he had he did have a song. He did ah, have a song. yes. Okay. Okay. Fair but enough. But not not an album. Not or an album. Or it, was, it, was, it was that. Uh, yeah. So again, this is his second Carl Perkins cover of the year. So you know, Carl's getting the royalty checks. Well, I'm I'm hoping that Charles uh, Carl was getting the royalty. I, listen, I like Honey Dunn because I like a Ringo moment on an album. It always cheers yeah. me up, and uh, I just think it maybe goes on for one lap too long. You know, it's just a little bit. It's like oh, another bit. solo. Oh, okay. Yes, I it's see. A little bit too long and this is the you know uh, rock on George for Ringo one time I here's the thing though and you might think this is very spurious I think this is the first Beatles song to mention another Beatles song okay because in the middle of it Ringo says I feel fine very yeah. good yes yeah. no Can, yeah. is that a pop no. quiz well they, no I think that's 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 a good write that down <laughs> uh, write that um, down so well, Ringo, Ringo Ringo obviously Likes this song. Well, he sang it at the concert for George. He sang it at the concert for George. Uh, have I ever mentioned that? Were you at, at the concert? I, I, I was at that. I'm surprised that I haven't I mentioned that. that. You should have told me that before. Um, we'll talk about that sometime. <laughs> um, yeah, so he, he still puts this in his live set. Mm-hmm. And uh, he recorded a duet with Carl Parkins in 1996. Now, that's an album. Do you have that album? I have this album. Of course you do. It's, of course I do. But I didn't know. It's got all the Beatles on it. Yes. And it's from 1996. Uh, it's from 1996. And you're thinking this is going to be like a free as a bird uh, yes. style resurrecting John Lennon. But this this is a, a, a sort of Carl Perkins tribute album almost to himself. Um, but he's sort of duetting with uh, lots of other people. But you have George sings a song. Uh, Ringo does Honey Don't. Mm-hmm. Paul gets a song. And John, they use uh, Blue Suede Shoes from Live Peace in Toronto. Oh, right. Um, but you, but you've also got Jimi Hendrix. There's a Jimi Hendrix live track that they pull on as well. Yeah. Plus, you've got Tom Petty, John Fogerty, yeah. 
and uh, Willie Nelson and that other guy from Ireland. Ah, Bono. So, but what, that's no reason not to buy the album. What a great record that must be, Bono. Yeah, we love. Yeah. And now, <sighs> yeah, let's not turn this into the uh, the the U2. Uh, yes, I'm pro U2, pro Bono, not pro, pro Bono like a like a pro Bono as in your yeah. Well, I am <laughs> doing this for free. You're doing this for free, <laughs> but um, yeah, and you don't like U2, and that's maybe where we'll leave it. I like I like a little bit of U2. Okay, in the middle of their career, I like the Berlin stuff. Okay, yes, you have to love Actung Baby. I, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, when all this is over, we're going to get an Actung Baby revival tour. I, there, you learned it here okay. on a Beatles podcast for some reason. Then there's one last bit of recording to be done, and it's uh, a remake of What You're Doing. So, again, yes. Paul, a little bit kind of not really having any standout moments. Um, uh, he, he kind of does What You're Doing. And it's uh, it's another kind of song that, uh, a bit like Every Little Thing, you think kind of has a Spectre-ish vibe going on, you know? Yes, yes. Um, it, it, it's there's a lot going on in this song, and again, you 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 sort of maybe have the sense of Paul knowing that he doesn't have a lot of songs on this uh, album, so he's really got to pull out all the stops. So he supposedly guides. I'm using that verb guides mm. Ringo. You know, tells Ringo how to play the drums basically, um, and is basing this on "Be My Baby," which is a a, a Spectre. Um, so you and it, it, you've got a drum intro, yep, unusual intro section. Um, the, the the there's like a breakdown in the middle of it, so the drums fade out, and then this little bass solo comes in to bring back. Yeah, and, that bass bit at the end is great. It's it's great, and it's a but again, that's quite a modern idea to to do that. But it's also um, that notion of Paul. And I know we've said this before that you know he kind of. He he doesn't just write songs. He kind of thinks in records. You know, he kind of he's, yes, he's starting yes. to now get this notion of you're starting to see Paul as someone who's not just writing the song, but he's arranging it. He's he's putting the idea of how it should be as a whole. You know, yes. and that and that kind of evolves into you know Penny Lane Paul, for instance. You know, yes, yes. Um, he's 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 got the he's got not only the arrangement, he's got the actual sound. You imagine he can actually hear these songs. Um, in his head. Yeah. Um, now the, 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 again, we're saying this is a Paul song, but Paul in many years from now saying, no, this was, this was a 50, 50, um, co-write. You know, yeah. Co-write. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and then, again, this is, yeah. this is another, this is another song that I think he, he, it's, if it was on the new Paul McCartney album, it would fit right in. There's a new Paul McCartney album. That'd be great. Well, this, we're all, we're <laughs> only ever nine or ten years away from a new Paul McCartney album. Uh, and the last bit of recording they do is the Christmas fan club disc, which we've talked about on our Christmas episode. And then they, they're back they, out on the road they, again. They they sound so tired. Yeah, yeah. On this this uh, this Christmas uh, uh, record, this is this is the the disc on which Paul says, you know, I don't know where we'd be without you. And John in the background goes, in the army probably. <laughs> you know, so you get the sense that he he probably at this stage might rather be in the army well what we have then is they're back out on the road the album doesn't come out until the um the very start of uh december the tour goes on uh until november and they're introducing songs from the album on the tour so the christmas we've talked about their set lists in 1964 they've Mm. now evolved into opening with twist and shout i'm a loser babies in black everyone's trying to be my baby can't buy me love honey don't I feel fine. She's a woman. Hard days night. Rock and roll music. That's the the Christmas show set list that they yeah. debut in December after the album comes out. Um, so while they're finishing their UK tour, the album is you know being compiled, mixed, put together, and it's rushed out uh, on the same day as the I Feel Fine single at the start of December sixty four. 
Um, Then in the US, though, that doesn't happen. As we said at the start, that's possibly one of the things that is against this album standing is that a generation grew up without Beatles for sale. Instead, in the US in December 64, they put out the album, which is called Beatles 65. Um, And the first side of Beatles 65 is very like the it's the first six songs from uh, Beatles for Sale, essentially. No reply, I'm a loser, yeah. babes in black rock and roll music. I'll follow some Mr. Moonlight. And then flipping the side over, Eight Days a Week is not on the album. And uh, that's saved no. for a 65 single. Uh, uh, and it's Honey Don't, I'll Be Back, She's a Woman, I Feel Fine, though, is on Beatles 65. And that ends with Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby. So, you know, we're going to talk about the 14 track UK Beatles for Sale album. And as I said, coming back to it for this, I am, uh, 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 I've really grown back into loving this record i think there is a ton of great stuff on it and actually its reputation is totally undeserved i think i think i agree with you yeah um going into this when you said you know let's do an episode on Beatles <laughs> for sale i thought this is this is going to be a chore you know this is not an album there's a lot here to talk about um you know the the, the b side of this album apart from eight days a week this is this is these songs it was almost as if i was hearing them for the first time um yeah. you know every little thing what you're doing uh, th- those aren't songs that were on really on my radar at all yeah certainly the song i've been listening to over and over is i don't want to spoil the party that probably yeah. was probably i would probably that would have been six weeks ago i would have given that the accolade of my least listened to beatles song yes. you know yeah and beatles for sale is probably the one beatles album where if you asked me name the track listing from start yes, to finish, yes. I'd be thinking, I'd be like, oh, wait a sec, hold on. I'm not sure which, yep. where's every little thing. Uh, yep. Now I think it's great. I, I've obviously, as is my want, I have a couple of uh, theories about this. I okay. think... <laughs> Here up. we go. Here, Here we, we go. go buckle up. Yeah. Beatles for Sale has this notion of it's their tired album. It's their end of a busy year album. I mm. think Beatles for Sale is their first pass, unknowingly perhaps, but it's their first pass at doing Get Back. And when I say that, if you look at the way the songs hang about, they are, they are, some of it is celebrating their live bandness. But the the covers that are on this are mm-hmm. the people who are the direct antecedent antecedents to the Beatles. Uh, yes. So you know you've got Buddy Holly, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Carl Perkins. These are all represented in the cover versions. They're not going for esoteric cover versions from people you haven't heard of, except maybe no. Mr. Moonlight. Yeah. And so it's it's like a get back project where they're saying you know this is our this is this is our live set this is our this is what we're cut from and and these new songs are are where we're going uh, and so it kind of if you kind of think of it that way and and you see it in like you know the the, the bits of the production where they're trying to mimic specter that we've mentioned that slapback sound on George Harrison's Everybody's Trying to yeah. Be My Baby, that's very retro. That's that's like the Elvis Presley nod on the album, maybe. Uh, so it, from an album that comes out in 64, there's lots of it that kind of looks back at the previous uh, eight or 10 years and says, these are the the ingredients of yeah. what make us us. And so it's it's like a get back project. Yes, no, maybe. Okay, well, I... I, I, I... Take your point. I take your point. <laughs> to, to, to keep our U2 analogy up, maybe it's their rattle and hum, you know, where they're showing their influences on their sleeve, particularly we, their American influences. Um, but maybe it's not the best. <laughs> we don't want to we don't want to labor the U2 uh, analogy. Oh. I, I certainly don't want to labor the U2 analogy. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but I mean, one at bot. I hear what you're saying uh, is meeting speak for I don't agree with yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> I don't agree with you. Well, I, I, I. The reason why, I mean, Get Back 
comes out of a, a situation where they're not playing live. Uh, you, you know, they're 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 trying to rediscover that sort of spark. Mm-hmm. Um, here, it's surely it's almost the opposite. They're 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 just way down with touring commitments. Where they're they're in Abbey Road on on one day, they're then driving, uh, getting back up to Edinburgh the next day. Um, they're you know they can't get off that live. There certainly treadmill. isn't a big picture notion with them yet of this is an album and we need to you know tie up. The title, no. the picture, the songs, the originals. Uh, you know, there's eight originals on the album, Five John, Three Paul, you know, and it's it's uh you know, it's still well one well, one of the one of the things that one of the very first things that we talked about on this podcast uh was uh help. Yes. And we talked about help being a sort of uh, I think we came to the conclusion it was a sort of transition album. Uh you you've got that uh, sort of Dizzy Miss Lizzie cover, you've got uh there's this sort of grasping at something with the likes of ticket to ride there's a modern sound there's they're shifting sound and i was I, I was very sort of locked into this idea that help is that transition album yeah. but i actually think you, you my theory would be that you need to take beatles for sale and help together yeah um and they're actually much much more similar than i had thought uh, that you know you've got something like i feel fine which we've said is a really modern sounding um, uh, uh, track. It's different from what's happening elsewhere on Beatles for Sale. But what you're doing is also different from what's happening because you've got that Spectre thing. You've got a, a studio sound. You, yes. you, you've um, things like No Reply, I'm a Loser. The, the, the original songs here, um, not I'll Follow the Sun, which is just a, a, a throwback, but the, 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 the songs which are being written in 1964 for this album are reaching forward past help yeah. uh, to, to Robert soul. And I think if you treat Beatles for sale and help as a block, but it, do you know what, do you know what is striking though, is that, you know, Beatles for sale and I feel fine come out at the start of December 64. And the next time a consumer drops a needle on a, on a new Beatles record, mm. the, the sound that they get is ticket to ride. Yeah, and that is a that is a game changer in a way. Yes, and yeah. if you actually look at the recording order, you know we said there that their last day of recording is the twenty sixth of October sixty four. They put down "Honey, Don't" and yeah. what you're doing. The next time they go into a recording studio on February the fifteenth, it's "Ticket to Ride" is is the first yeah. thing they lay down as well, and they do a week in February sixty five, and it's "Ticket to Ride," another girl. I need you. Yes, it is. The night before, you like me too much. If you've got trouble, tell me what you see. You're going to lose a girl. That means a lot. You've got to hide your love away. All that stuff comes out in a week in February. Mm. That's 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 quite a jump in two months. It is, but if you but what you're doing is like the do you song. What, what you're, you're doing? Oh, what you're doing? I thought you were going to yeah, yeah, but do you not think what you're doing fits into what they will be doing in two months? I think time? they do. I, I think you're right. I think what you're doing, I'm a loser. And stop I feel there. fine. You just stop. Just stop. <laughs> you're you, right, you, Stephen. You're right. That's it. Just That's stop the there. But I know. No, I, 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 yes, I think, you're right. You know, if, if if we leave, if we leave, honey, don't to one side. Yeah. On the basis that that's a, we've got to get a song for Ringo. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, Rockabilly, we'll give him that. The song that they're working on there, what you're doing. Is 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 a very sophisticated yes. arrangement. Yes, sophistication with, is appearing on Beatles for and, sale, and that's I suppose that's that's really I suppose you're you're saying it better than I said it. It's, but with eight days a week, what you're doing 
I feel fine. There's a degree of sophistication yeah. coming in that really prefigures help and ticket to ride and those songs. But and, and on help, they haven't quite shaken off the cover. You know, they haven't quite got rid of yeah. the act naturally and dizzy Miss Lizzie and you know. So I think I, I think this sort of bleeds into it. The very best songs. And I would count Paul's "What You're Doing" mm. just in terms of the sophistication of the arrangement and the uh, what just everything about that song is is amazing. But yet, it's not a song I'm particularly familiar with because it's just stuck at the back of this album you're told not to like. Yeah, and so let's talk physically about the album because it comes out in '64, goes straight yeah. to number one. It knocks uh, "Hard Day's Night" off at the number one album spot in the UK. I've got a copy of the album in front of me right here, and what's str- what's what you kind of forget is it's a gatefold. It's a very attractive kind of uh, album sleeve. So I don't think, you know, when you see it in album style, uh, my CD of Beatles for Sale, which is how I first got Mm. the album uh, in the late 80s, is... We're seeing all the formats. All the formats here. It's it's kind of unloved. I think it was one of the last Beatles albums I picked up. But you see see that big picture on the album. It's it's a great cover. You you realise that it's a gatefold and it's got quite a an artsy collage going on inside. It's got, uh, and it's got those great Derek Taylor notes. Yes. Uh, no, I think you're right. And I, I, the same, I, I had this on vinyl um, before I had it on CD, but the copy I had was, was given to me by someone whose parents had given it to him. And yeah. it was, it was a sort of tattered 1960s mono copy. The cover was creased. Uh, I kept it inside a plastic sleeve. So you didn't, you know, I, I didn't really appreciate the whole sort of package, the artwork and everything yeah. that was put together. And I, I'm pretty, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a very lavish. It's very lavish uh, for 64, lavish you know. It's... For 64. Yeah. Um, and again, EMI are throwing, obviously, you know, this is the, he's the, this is the golden goose. They're throwing money at this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a very sophisticated package. Um, and the back the, doesn't the, have any text on it at all, which is also it's, unusual. It's again, it sort of prefigures this notion. We're getting to this idea of you, you know you ultimately end up with Abbey Road, where there's nothing on the cover. Yeah, I think I think if they'd been bold enough to actually do the cover with zero text. Yeah, and the text yeah, yeah. is the text doesn't really dominate the it's front not, cover. No, no, it's quite it's quite discreet. Um, you know, I think uh, you know a, a totally blank cover would be fantastic. Um, Derek Taylor's sleeve notes. We all love those, don't we? This is the. These are absolutely brilliant sleeve notes, <laughs> and it, it's Derek Taylor, a master of um, you know hyperbole. People, you know, cigar smoking people on Saturn yeah. in the year two thousand will still love the warmth and excitement of this record. And I think you know we we may not be smoking cigars. We may not be on Saturn, no. but I think we can. We're enjoying the warmth of this well, record. Well, Saturn is a is a gas planet, so I don't think yes. I, that we were never going to Saturn. But the rest no. of it, uh, the, the the general I spirit. I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't say Derek. Derek was a good scientist, but he <laughs> he was away with he had a way with words. Um, but uh, certainly his vibe that people in the future will be listening to this and yeah. lo and behold, here we are doing here a big are. talk about it. So, but it, as I said, this notion of that it's not very good, we're kind of putting that to bed, but there probably are a couple of tweaks that could make it better. We've talked about running order. We've talked about putting on, uh, you know, uh, Leave My Kitten Alone. Uh, the title, Beatles for Sale, it's an odd title. Do you have a theory? Yes, my theory is because I don't. I've never heard a story as to why it's called Beatles no. for Sale, no. and I, I've heard people talk about you know Beatles for Sale is the Beatles album where the Beatles just made albums like other people made albums with some new songs and some old songs and they just mm. rushed it out. Um, 
But Beatles for Sale, uh, my theory is that they were trying to come up with an album title and it was their fourth album and they might have gone from Beatles 4. Yeah. And Beatles 4 was maybe, oh, we call it Beatles 4. Hey, why not call it Beatles for, Beatles sale? for sale? That's my theory. Okay. That's not, not just that they thought of themselves as being reduced to a commodity. Well, I, th- I, I think the title does. That was my assumption. I think you're probably right, but I think the title adds to the notion that this is an album of jaded people. Beatles for Sale yeah. does sound a bit cynical, and we that, don't that, like cynical Beatles. They're not really no. known for being cynical in the way that, you know, people can be, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, I think that the, 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 the big shift here is if you look at that running order. Yeah. So you open with no reply. Yeah. Um, I'm a loser. Yeah, babies in black. Those are three downers, <laughs> downers, and yeah. three three Lennon vocals. Yeah, rock and roll music is the up tempo again. Four Lennon songs in a row. Yeah, uh, I'll follow the sun, Mister Moonlight. Yeah, Kansas City. Yeah, that's 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 you know that that's not a uh, that that's not a Beatlemania toe tapping, up tempo, uplifting running yeah. order. Yeah, um, eight days a week. On the B side, good opening to the B side. I think you're right. It would have made a good opener to the album. Yeah. Words of Love. Honey Don't is a bit of a. The sleeve for Words of Love, by the way, says John and Paul quite clearly. Uh, yeah. I know that, that, that's well, I'm, 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 I would always have said John and Paul, but yeah. I, I noticed that Ian McDonald was was crediting that to George. So. Okay. Then Honey Don't, um, yeah. Every Little Thing. Yeah. Don't want to spoil the party. What You're Doing, which I think is probably. My my favorite song. It's lost there. It's it's and it's completely lost yeah, at the yeah. back end of the album. Completely yeah, yeah. lost. But it's it's the most sophisticated thing they've done. Mm. Um, it's a great Paul track. Yeah, it's a great studio track. Uh, and then you get everybody's trying to be my baby, which is a little sort of ho hum. It it's. It's fine, yeah. but it's not a satisfactory closer. Well, you know, if we're tweaking it and we're talking about, you know, what's wrong or what could be done, you know, from a box set point of view, I would like a little bit of sonic tweaking on this. Mm. Some of the vocals sound a little bit far back. I think some yeah. Abbey Road trickery uh, could could really make you rethink this album a little bit. I know there's probably not an awful lot in the in the vaults that could be added to it, and we've had Leave My Kitten Alone. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think what you've got are a lot of um, session yes. tapes. You know, yeah. there's a lot of bootlegs out there for of, of Beatles for Sale. Yeah, you could do a Bob Dylan complete Beatles for Sale sessions. That would be fun. Yeah, I don't know. Do we want five takes of Honey Don't? Um, yeah, we do actually. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but, we we buy that. We'd buy that. But at the end of the day, just you know, looking at Derek Taylor's notes here, he says, you know. Um, here it is then. It definitely says John, Paul, George and Ringo, full of everything which made the four the biggest attraction the world has ever known. Like, he's writing that the year it happens. Yeah. Full of raw John and melodic Paul, a number from George, and a bonus from Ringo. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, for those who like to know what plots the details are along each title. But, you know, even then it's like raucous John, melodic Paul, George and Ringo yeah. are here too. Yeah. We're, you know, we're still, we're, yes. They're we're, totally we're, codified. We're... Yes, we're we're absolutely they're locked into that uh, that that image. Um, so, have we made a case for Beatles for sale? I think there's a fantastic I, case for this fantastic. I think, album. I think you're. I think you're I, know I want to run off and listen to it again. 
I think you're absolutely right, and maybe it's because uh, it's not it's not an album with which we are overly familiar. Yes, it's the Beatles so, album that we've kind of forgotten about. Every yeah, Beatles so, album has some kind of superlative attached to it. Yes. And this is the underestimated one or the most forgotten yeah. one or the most yeah. neglected one, you know? Um, so I think you're com- particularly the songs on the second side. Yeah. Um, uh, that's So I think, yeah, let's get everybody who needs to get out you know listen to listen to this album again yeah. I, I think it isn't it is it's ridiculous to say that any aspect of of what the beatles have done is undiscovered but it, it, it's time to be rediscovered it is yes it, it is to be rediscovered and i think it's possible that there's people out there who you know uh there might be one or two gaps in their collection and chances are the gaps are beatles for sale you know mm. that it's not going to be sergeant pepper or the white album no, it's going to be beatles for sale and if you've left it uh uh you know on the shop shelves you know, go listen to Beatles for Sale. If you haven't listened to it for a while, go listen for Sale. We've said it time and again, our number one raison d'etre on this show is just to send you back to the records and go, yeah, they were the best. And, uh, you know, Beatles for Sale is as good as any of it. It's part of the story. And, uh, you know, don't let uh, don't let people put it down. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> All I agree. right. So listen. Every, this... Everything that you said. <laughs> so look, Beatles for Sale, hopefully we'll send you back listening to that. What do you think? You know, let us know in all the usual places. We're happy to to get involved. We're on Twitter, at Beatles Pod. Um, we are uh, also on Facebook, in the Facebook group. Uh, Stephen will let you in. Uh, we occasionally put stuff up on Instagram these days. And, uh, you know, wherever you download or listen to us, we appreciate any nice reviews that, uh, or, uh, that you can leave behind for us uh, on our behalf. But, uh, yeah, go off and listen to Beatles for Sale. It's, it's great. While you're all off rediscovering uh, Beatles for Sale, we will be taking a short break. This has been the last episode of Season 2. Uh, we'd like to thank everybody for their support, uh, for the very kind comments and reviews and feedback and just generally engaging across Facebook and Twitter. We really do appreciate all of your input. Uh, we're hoping to come back uh, in early October with season three. And if you have suggestions for areas or aspects of the Beatles story that you'd like us to cover, do get in touch. But for Nothing Is Real, this time I'm Jason Carty. I'm Stephen Cockcroft. And this has been Nothing Is Real. Thanks for listening, folks. Nothing Is Real is powered by Acast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.